And now another episode of Mind Escape with Michael and Maurice. Take it away, Michael. Pre-Socratic philosophers. Okay, so philosophy literally translates uh, translates to the uh, love of wisdom, um, mm-hmm. and uh, which we all should have within us. So here you got two maps. Um, before we get into each individual philosopher, I just wanted to point out a couple uh, regions that were important. Uh, Ionia is like kind of where it all began, which is the western coast of modern-day Anatolia and uh, Turkey, as you can see there in the picture on the right. Um, mm-hmm. And that uh, arrow is actually pointing at uh, Miletus, which is where um, Thales and, and you know the Milesian school kind of all began we'll get into that in a second um and uh so the the way that they got over obviously everybody was kind of floating around back then and there was lots of wars and conquering and different things but the um the greeks founded the greek colonists um came to that area um during the dorian invasion in the 11th century um and miletus like i mentioned was the most important city uh, on the left, uh, we'll get into that in a little bit, but you've got uh, uh, Elia and Croton. Elia, um, and that's Italy, by the way, on the left. That's where you know we're going to get to some of these people as well. Um, Elia is where the uh, Eliatic school was, and Croton is where you've got uh, Pythagoras set up camp with his little like um, mathematic kind of occult thing that they had going on there. Um, and that's that back then that was called Magna Grecia. Um, yeah. So most people don't even realize that a lot of these philosophers came from, you know, different parts, you know, Turkey, Italy, you know, it's not just Greece and Athens and stuff. So, right. So that, that right map is like the, the, what would that be? The Western tip of Africa? No, no, no. The, the, the map on the right is the, the, um, the West coast of Turkey. Oh, okay. So you can't see it, but if I zoomed out, you know, Turkey's kind of like goes lengthwise across, and that's that would be the western tip of it. Oh, all right, all right, never mind. Um, so yeah, uh, but let's go to the next one. Let's go to our first guy here, uh, Thales of Miletus. He was probably or most likely the first philosopher, um, and or Western philosopher, um. He, his era was between uh, 623 and 545 BC. Um, he was considered one of the seven sages of Greece. Um, you know, we're not going to get all to the get to all the sages because not all of them are philosophers. You know, but um, right, right. some politicians and statesmen and that kind of stuff. But um, he was the first uh, philosopher known to engage in scientific philosophy. Um, kind of. Uh, a curious mind that wanted to know kind of how things worked and and he was the first guy to step away from like the mythology aspect of it so back then um they would uh explain things you know natural things by saying oh you know if the if it was really you know the the ocean was really choppy or something you know oh poseidon's mad or something like that you know they would use um mythology to explain natural uh, phenomena where he this was the first guy to say well you know there might be a more natural explanation for it so 
Um, Interesting. Yeah. So, and um, like I said, he was the first guy to use theories and hypothesis uh, hypothesis to explain. Uh, How ridiculed was he for this? Um, that I don't know that much about, actually. I don't, you know, everything I've read and studied and researched, it's not something that they ever talk about. I'm sure there was pushback. Oh, yeah, the first pe- person to think anything, right or wrong. But is always the other thing is you got to think about if somebody's got an awesome idea, I'm sure there was people like, wow, you know, that makes a lot of sense. Maybe not true, true. initially, but, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it got to that point where um, that was the... Uh, the, the point of the day but uh so yeah aristotle noted him as the founder of the ionian school like i pointed out uh miletus which on the map you know on the uh western coast of turkey um he okay so a lot of these po- uh pre-socratics had different their own version of monism which we've talked about before which is the explanation that one thing is the source of all things so his mm-hmm. one thing that was a source of all things was was water. He believed that water was the source of all things, meaning that everything that's made up has something to do with water. You know, and, good theory, and, yeah. And uh, even that, uh, like land, for instance, is not really, you know, it's all floating on water. You know, and we are all mm-hmm. comprised of water, like all that, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, like I said, they each had their own version of monism. Um, and uh, he was considered the first material monist. Um, so he used uh, geometry to calculate the height of the Great Pyramid. So this is kind of a, um, an interesting, um, an interesting point too. Is that a lot of these pre-Socratic and even other you know philosophers would go to Egypt to learn. So um, you know we'll get to some of the other ones, but. Uh, you know, a lot of these guys went to Egypt to study, you know, mathematics and uh, different things. And uh, obviously the Egyptians had a good grasp on geometry, having built, you know, a lot of the megalithic structures and temples and stuff there. Yeah, uh, I'd say so. They were master masons, obviously. Um, but, uh, yeah, he calculated the height of the Great Pyramid using geometry. Um, he also, I think he also came up with a way to distinguish distance by... Uh, correlating like how far ships were from you know land and like the coast and stuff like that too mm-hmm. um so according to herodotus who was you know we've we've mentioned him on other videos that we've done he atlantis was, man yeah well no he was a um like a biographer or like a historian he would oh, okay. co- collect knowledge and and put it out there in different writings and stuff like that but he wrote that uh, Thales predicted a solar eclipse in uh, 585 BC, which is actually pretty remarkable. Um, I think back then it was known that there would be eclipses in certain areas, like every 19 years, or I, f- I forget the exact uh, the exact date on those. But um, yeah, it was just it's pre- pretty cool. Though. But even back then, yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, you have to have some sort of knowledge or some sort of um, wisdom to do stuff like that because it wasn't really that common back then i mean i'm sure the egyptians and a lot of these other cultures had some some people and um you know astronomers and stuff like that but uh well i mean remember i was talking talking about that frederick Douglass saw an eclipse which almost started the the revolution for african americans i don't think it was frederick Douglass. i think it was nat turner is who is that a is that a man 
Yeah, that's the guy that you initially told oh, me. Oh, yeah, to... maybe it was. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, Turner. No. Yep, yep. My bad. Anyways, I was going to say, like, even even in the 1800s, people still didn't know what an eclipse was. So right. back then, it's super advanced. Right. Um, Thales died 30 years before the time of Pythagoras and 300 years before the time of Euclid um, and was considered the first, you know, mathematician. So Pythagoras, obviously the... Uh, Pythagorean theorem yep. and uh, triangles and all that stuff. Um, and Euclid was considered like the father of geometry pretty much. Um, so, uh, bu- 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 okay, when Thales was asked uh, what was difficult, he said to know oneself. And, uh, and what was easy was to advise another. So... Um, his most famous advice was know thyself. I think that's, yeah, it's engraved on the uh, front of the temple of Apollo at Delphi. Uh, but it's actually most, uh, famously attributed to, um, Socrates who, who used that kind of thinking a lot. Um, uh, Thales was also, uh, the first to use deductive reasoning in relation to mathematics, um, which is kind of interesting. Um, another thing, that uh like just a little story about uh Thales that a lot of people talk about is um he knew that uh that the olive season was coming and it was going to be bountiful so he went around and bought all the olive presses and he made like a killing because of it he cornered the market on that kind of stuff that's what I'm talking about so he was like the first real savvy businessman that you yeah. hear you know um which is nice kind of encapsulates a lot of you know who he was another um another thought he had was he thought magnets were alive since obviously you know what's the explain or they had souls um what's the explanation of you know when when you don't know much back then scientifically that two things would be you know attracted to each other like that would move without any sort of you know intervention yeah let's go to the next one so thales was the first one Kind of set the tone for everybody. Founded the uh, Milesian school in Miletus. And let's go to the next one. So this one I just threw in here. Um, Solon, he was important to the uh, you know the story of Atlantis and oh, okay. Plato. Uh, Plato getting all the information handed down to him. I think it was six generations. Um, so Solon was from like 630 to 560 B.C., uh, he was an Athenian statesman, so he wasn't really a philosopher, um, but uh, he was an important figure in ancient Greece. Uh, he was a lawmaker. He was a poet. Um, he laid the foundation for the Athenian democracy. Um, according to Herodotus, Solon visited the pharaoh of Egypt, uh, Massus II. Uh, according to Plutarch, Solon discussed philosophy with two Egyptian priests, uh, uh, or Cephephus, I don't, I don't even know how to pronounce that guy's name, uh, of Heliopolis and Sanchez of Sais. Um, according to Plato's dialogue, uh, in the, uh, Timaeus and the Critias, Solon visited, uh, Neith's temple at the, at Saith, uh, Sais and received from the priest there, uh, an account of the history of Atlantis. So again, this is just another example of ancient Greeks going to, uh, ancient Egypt to get, um, you know, knowledge and, um, you know, learn there, study there. So when he was getting this knowledge, when did they claim that Atlantis was? 
like a thousand years well, before them. Well, I mean, it, no, it's it's written it, it's written down ninety six hundred uh, BC, so that's like way before. That's like thousands so and thousands. Be, so right. if this is five hundred, so that's nine thousand years before this. Wow. So think okay. about that. Like we're you know. Yeah, it's totally possible because like all our buildings would turn to dust too. So so that would be like yeah, that would be like somebody from seven thousand BC. We we are like us having knowledge of something from seven thousand BC and keep on passing it down, kind of a thing. So, but that's Mm -hmm. why a lot of people think that Atlantis is a myth or that um, you know Plato made it up or embellished. It was kind of a like um, a learning thing. yeah. Yeah, just like a story or a parable to explain you know, natural phenomenon or what could happen to a society, you know, on the downfall. Um, But at the same time, there's a lot of correlating factors. Like we've talked about the younger driest impact event. Um, That's actually the exact date of what they've dated uh, Gobekli Tepe to. Um, So there's a lot of correlating factors there, which are kind of unique, but um, you know, obviously Gobekli Tepe being in uh, Turkey as well. Um, so yeah, so but uh, he yeah he was the ancestor six generations removed from Plato. Uh, like I mentioned, he was known for his political and economical uh, reform. Um, so yeah, he was more of a statesman politician. But I just wanted to throw him in there because I you know like I said I thought he's important and uh, he's not going to fit in with the other um, the other episodes we do on ancient Greece. So I just thought I'd throw him in there. Are these episodes like a timeline progression? No, so we'll go. Uh, we're going to bounce around a little bit, but yeah, okay, I mean, they're it, based more on ideas and the collection of. Yeah, so that, we're just going to categorize okay. different, you know, maybe, you know, different. Uh, like I said, we'll go through the pre Socratics and then we'll get to Socrates, uh, okay. Plato, Aristotle, which are people th- lump those three together. Uh, and then we'll get to the Sophists, who were the people that had knowledge and. Um, Basically, they were like the philosophers or the smart people that did stuff for money. You know, like they were getting paid by kings and rich people to teach their children. And they were more of like the practical side of it, you know, because even today, philosophy is not really considered that practical on like a day to day basis. Right. So Mm -hmm. very, very looked down upon. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's just (laughs) it's just not an empirical science. So people aren't going to, you know, give it too much. You know, I think it's important. I mean, I'll, when you start talking like metaphysics and stuff like that, which we're going to start talking about here, because a lot of these guys, that's what they were doing was talking about metaphysics and origins and what could be the answer of everything. I think it's important that we had these guys because they're the ones that kind of pushed us uh, to where we are. And these were basically the first Western scientists that uh, started the tradition. So, uh, so here we have, this is one of uh, Thales' students, Anaximander, uh, from 610 to 646 BC, uh, pre-Socratic philosopher, uh, lived in the Ionian city of Miletus, the Milesian school, uh, was part of the Milesian school and studied under his teacher uh, and master Thales. Um, after Thales became the second master, uh, he, oh, after Thales, uh, Anaximander became the second master of the Milesian school. Uh, he taught Anaximenides, um and probably Pythagoras, they're not quite sure. That's what another thing I wanted to point out is a lot of this information, I cross-referenced a lot of stuff, and you kind of get a different 
you know, right, uh, explanations. Right. And, terms, I, yeah. and I've read some books and went through some of the great course lectures and stuff like that too. So there's a lot of different takes on a lot of this different stuff. I just tried to find the most consistent stuff. Yeah, do your stuff. best. And if, when people crucify us on Reddit, well, no, it's, we'll, it's, it's not even crucify. I don't even give <laughs> sh- I don't even care about that. That's not even in, in the, the point, you know, I could right, care. Right. What, but the, the, the main point I'm trying to make is, is that none of this stuff is flawless and we're mm-hmm. all basing this stuff on, you know, Memory, Histo- really. historians like Herodotus and stuff like that, but we're also base- basing it on their written works. Do they have anything written? You know, before Plato, there really wasn't that much stuff written down. So, right. Um, now a lot of the stuff, you know, is it, is it word for word? Is it verbatim or is it? Met- no, I mean, you still have you to know, translate met- it. Metaphorically and stuff like that. I'm saying like that. Yeah. You still have to trans, even though when it's translated, it's still, you still have to make sense of it, which, you know, is another uh-huh. issue altogether. But, yeah. um, so yeah, he taught, uh, yeah. So he was the first philosopher to write down his studies. So, uh, you know, like I just said, a lot of these guys didn't write stuff down. We'll get Socrates was known for not writing anything down. So, you know, there's certain people, uh, or philosophers that did, did write stuff down. There's certain ones that didn't write stuff down. Um, only one of his works survived, but his testimonies from other historical works, uh, provide a picture of who he was. Um, he was a material monist as well. He believed that the Apiron, uh, which, you know, he believed that uh, the source of all things uh, was this limit, limitless or infinite um, uh, thing called the Apiron, which, you know, they also talk about the, like the RK, which is the first, philosoph- uh, first philosophical term, which means origin of or, or beginning. So, um, you know... I think, um, you know, when you look at it like that, when they start talking about metaphysics and stuff like that, um, you're getting to the point where it's like, okay, these guys are thinking outside the box. You know, I'm, right, I'm sure right. people before these guys started to think about these things, you know, I don't know how long before, but I'm sure they were thought about before, probably ancient Egypt, maybe ancient Sumerians, you know, but at the same time, these guys started to write it down. These guys started to cultivate like a culture around this kind of stuff and uh, pass it down through um, not just word of mouth, but, you know, writing it down and passing it along kind of a thing. Uh-huh. Um, let's see here. He was the first to theorize uh, that the um, that the earth floats still in the infinite, uh, not supported by anything. So, you know, and that's another point I want to make is these guys – most of them weren't right, okay? Like, most of what we know now kind of contradicts what a lot of these guys thought. But you have to think from their perspective way back then. Like, they didn't have the access that we have. They're not sending rockets into space. They're not right, yeah, sending man to the moon. So, like, this is just their version of what they think's going on out there. So, um, you know, when when this guy says, you know, Anaximander thinks that the Earth floats still in the infinite... Well, that's not true. We know we're constantly moving, getting shot out of, you know, we're on a, on a course, you know, um, orbiting around the sun and, and, and flying through space at uh, pretty high speeds. Uh-huh. Um, he referenced, uh, he was referenced by some as the father of cosmology. Um, his theories of the universe were trending towards demystifying natural phenomenon and processes. So similar to Thales, like I said, these first, you know, pre-Socratics were looking for ways to, um, 
give a natural explanation for, you know, natural phenomena. Like I said, I mean, back then there's a lightning storm. Oh, Zeus is mad. He's, you know, throwing lightning bolts or it's, you know, the the ship gets broken up in the ocean. Oh, Poseidon was Poseidon's upset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, these were the first guys to kind of go against that and understand that there's probably a, a more reasonable and rational explanation for that. Um, uh, he was, uh, an X-Mander was the first to speculate on the plurality of worlds. So, you know, that's interesting concept, you know, to, to think that there's other, you know, worlds or universes or whatever out there, which I mean, is even relevant to this day where we're, you know, you got a lot of quantum physicists, physicists, and cosmologists trying to prove, you know, the many worlds theory, which is pretty popular these days. So. Um, yeah, some of these yeah, themes yeah. are we'll get and we'll get through them, but some of these themes are uh, relative today, just different like detail, you know, like some of the details are wrong or some of the basic, you know, um, points are, are, are a little off, but you know, Concepts. yeah, I mean, but just the idea that they were thinking about this kind of stuff, I think is amazing. Um, uh, so, he, yeah, like I said, he attributed, uh, thunder and lightning and natural processes to, you know, a natural cause as opposed to some divine cause. He was the first person to publish a map of the world, um, which is pretty interesting. Um, I'd like to see that thing. It's not, I looked at it. I found one online. I didn't put it on here, but it's not that it's one great. long. It's not that great. The, <laughs> yeah, I bet it wasn't. Uh, here's something he wrote, uh, whence things have their origin, uh, thence also their destruction happens according to necessity, uh, for they give to each other justice recompense for their injustice in, uh, conformity with the ordinance of time. So yeah, like I was saying before, when you translate a lot of the stuff, you still have to then translate it again because it's like, um, you know, make sense of that. People don't talk like that anymore. So it kind of sounds like he's just saying life is death. They're the same thing. Well, yeah, but, but my, but my point is, right. Um, yeah. The, you were saying earlier, do people, you know what the translation thing, it's like you translate it once from Greek to English and then you then have to translate it or interpret it from there. So, uh-huh. all right. So this is, um, an Amenities. um, he was Anaximander's student. He was from 586 to 526 BC, pre-Socratic philosopher. Um, and by the way, people are, if you, I'm sure you know if you're watching this, but if you don't know, pre-Socratic just means pre-Socrates. Like they were whole, that's what they consider all the philosophers in the uh, Western tradition of Greece uh, before Socrates. And then there's the era of Socrates, uh, Plato, Aristotle, and then, like I said, you've got the sophist or sophist, you know, which is a whole different uh, animal. But uh, so none of his works were preserved. Um, everything we know about his philosophies and theories is because of the references made by Aristotle and other Greek philosophers. Um, he was one of the three Milesian philosophers. So again, this was like the last, you know, great Milesian philosopher. Also, um, uh, yeah, uh, Miletus was conquered by the Persian army in 494 BC. Um, so it looks like the, uh, the Persians took back that, that part of the, uh, region that was taken over during the, uh, 
the Dorian invasion. Um, so like Thales and his teacher Anaximander uh, before him, he was a material monist. His theory was that air, uh, mist, vapor, you know, made up of all things. So his his theory was that air, you know, or some version unlike of water, air. Yeah, unlike water or the Aperion, uh, Aperion, uh, it was air. So, um, you know, he believed it was infinite and divine. So, you know, if if you think about it, you know, Thales and uh, Anaximenes were not that far off in the sense that we we both actually need air and we need water to survive right, right? so yeah yeah was... those are two of the main things that we need now i mean again they're they're wrong in the sense of what we know now but back then i mean that's well what do we know now you know well we yeah i mean water could be god who knows maybe maybe not <laughs> probably not <laughs> um his greatest contribution to scientific thought was the idea that substance could change forms. So like changing forms, like I said, so his idea of monism, you know, air turning into mist and vapor and just the, you know, the change of the forms, whether it be like, you know, a gas into a solid, you know, that kind of stuff. I think that's pretty important. Um, and that's one of the cornerstones of basic science as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, also he believed that the universe was in constant motion. Um, so, you know, that's actually true, right? You know, everything's yeah. always, there's nothing stationary that we know of, and the universe keeps expanding, everything keeps spreading out. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good stab right there. Yeah, yeah. Um, Seems like all these guys got a little pad t- t- of truth in there, you know? Yeah, I mean, considering what they had access to and, you know, all that. Also, um, you know, like I said, a lot of these guys studied in ancient Greece or, or even, either they did or their teachers did and had a decent background on the way things work and stuff like that. So um, his greatest kind of, da, 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 da. Uh, he believed that the universe yeah. was in kind of, yeah, we just went over that. Um, he thought that matter changed through condensation and refraction. So that's an interesting one. So that, um, that's not right, obviously, but from a perception standpoint, I guess you could see where maybe he was going with that, that, uh, matter changes form when, when different, you know, or changes state through different processes, whether it be. Uh, condensation and rarefaction, that kind of stuff. So uh-huh. um, this is a little something from him. Uh, just as our soul being air holds us together, so Numa and air uh, encompass and guard the whole world. So that's a little tidbit there. So, yeah, he was the last of the, uh, the Milesians. Oh. No, no, no. We're not. We, we got to. Few, we got some more here for the pre-Socratics. He was just the last of the Milesian school because, like I said, they got uh, conquered by the Persian army in 494 BC. These guys have sweet names. I wonder when their names <laughs> are going to come back. You know how yeah. all the names like recycle. I don't think anybody's going to be using <laughs> these names. A Maximander. <laughs> An Axamander, yeah. Or, um, yeah, I like uh, that one. That's like a superhero name. This one's pretty cool. Xenophanes. Um, yeah. 
So he was from 570 to 5 or 475 BC. Uh, he was a Greek philosopher, theologian, poet, and critic. Um, he left Ionia at the age of 25 and traveled the world for 67 years. So this dude was... Now, now what, are, what are a theologian? There's a Wilco song about that. It's just somebody that studies like um, faith and religion. Okay, a deeply rooted individual and in No, I mean, religion. it's just, it's literally like a theologian is like somebody that studies religion, like seriously, like, uh, like academically. All right. So like not a priest. I mean, I guess a priest could be a theologian, but more like somebody that's teaching religion in school or college okay. or somebody that studies religion seriously and understands, you know, can have debates about it, dialects about it, that kind of stuff. All right. Um, uh, Let's see. He left Ionia at the age of 25. Yeah, so he traveled the world for 67 years. Um, That's pretty interesting. Beautiful. Um, And back then, you know, that probably was the way to go. I mean, if you're trying to gain knowledge and, uh, you know, see the world, I mean, why not? Back then, it's a good way to live today. Plus, if you stayed stationary long enough back then, there's a good chance you were either getting con- conquered, going to war, <laughs> doing something. So yeah, keep uh, keep moving away, man. Um, it will he, never find you. He used satire to critique the polyistic views of contemporaries like Homer and Hesiod. Hell yes. uh, they believe that they were projecting an anthropomorph uh, anthropomorphizing God. So, like we were mentioned before, this dude was, you know, satiring and 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 coming up with ways to to basically mock um you know Homer and Hesiod were two of like the the mythological writers of ancient Greece you know obviously mm-hmm. Homer yeah, yeah. uh the, the Odyssey. Odyssey and all that stuff so um but yeah he you know this guy was obviously uh a smart dude and you know satire i mean i wonder if it was comical or if it was serious you know it's the beginning of national lampoons over there <laughs> um so he wrote about wet and dry uh, water and earth. Uh, he theorized that, um, or I'm sorry, he, he theorized about wet and dry or water and earth, and he theorized that these two states would alternate uh, pushing human life into extinction and then it would re- uh, uh, regenerate and vice versa depending on the uh, dominant form. So this would suggest that he believed uh, in causation, uh, which was a major contribution to the evolution of uh, scientific thinking. Um, I think a lot of these, each one of these guys had something to contribute to what we would consider modern day science, you know, and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, whether it be changing a forms, causation, you know, we'll get to Democritus and like the atom and all that stuff. So a lot of these guys had different, um, things to contribute that we still kind of use to this day. You know, like I said, most of what they thought wasn't correct or true, but uh, you got to start somewhere. And look, thousands of years from now, people are going to be thinking, what were these monkeys? That's know, what about I was going to say. They're going to be thinking, we're, them, you know, that's all that matters, really. Well, I, we're going to be considered idiots time, a couple thousand years from now, you know, assuming exactly. that the Earth survives or we get off this planet or whatever the case may be. So, um,. Through examining fossils, he believed uh, that the Earth must have been completely covered by water at some point. You know, so um, it's on to something. That's for sure. Well, if and if you look at even a lot some of the megalithic structures, you know, the limestone, sandstone, right. there's, there's different encapsulated 
crustaceans and different things. So that's, I mean, the earth was covered, you know, with water and it was basically water world and not with, uh, what's his a face? A better version. Yeah. Was Kevin it? Costner. Yeah. Well, who was fin. the bad, who was the bad guy? Dennis Hopper. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, probably. That's uh, a horrible film. Um, ba 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 ba. So yeah, so that's an you know, like I said, some of these guys got some of the things right, you know. Um, through examining the, uh, we already talked about that. He believed that there was an infinite number of worlds not overlapping in time. So that's kind of an interesting concept. Um, so there's a bunch of worlds that are running simultaneously. Yeah. That's what I'm telling you, man. Half these half these theories are coming back. What's the multiverse and stuff? It's a no. I, 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 I'm sorry. I said not overlapping in time. I didn't. Oh, okay. My bad. That's um, weird. That's like almost a Rudolf Steiner esque idea. Maybe. I mean, you mean like the eras, like how he went through. Well, I was talking about like when you die from this, then you go to a different world. Right, right, right. right it's right. a world or whatever it might be. Right dimension whatever you want to yeah. say but again like i said I, people are so quick to poo poo when we don't really even know ourselves so i don't know at least yeah. these guys were thinking outside the box that's what in today's society it seems like everybody's going along that one streamlined let's right. keep cracking open this atom we're gonna find out the tid all the little tidbits are gonna tell us the secret right uh, he was one of the first philosophers to distinguish between true belief and knowledge so you know, um, that's important too, you know, and, and we'll get to Socrates and like, what do we truly know and that kind of stuff. And, you know, in another episode, but it's important to point out that, you know, these guys were all coming up with these different, um, ways to think about things, reason and logic and, and, um, you know, what's the difference between belief and actual knowledge and those kinds of things. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, his epistemology, uh, which is still relevant to this day, states that there is uh, a truth of reality, uh, but it is unknowable to mortal humans. So um, that's something I think about a lot, actually, to this day, too. It's like, you know, obviously we do this podcast and I research a lot. I read a lot of books. Um, I'm kind of... Um, I'm kind yeah, of... Yeah, we're never going to know. Yeah, I mean, I'm. that's what I... But at the same time, it's like I'm still going to try. That's my philosophy on it. It's like I still want to know as much as I can. Right. No, but no matter like, what. It gets to the point where you, you could get you could make yourself sick if you're, you you keep trying and trying and trying. And right. If you accept it, you might be able to live a more peaceful life. For sure. Know. For sure. Like Emerson, he kind of just like, I don't really care if if there, you know, if all that happened, all that really matters is what's going on now and right. Kind of that kind of deal. But again, we have a podcast and we want to seek out the truth. So we're going to crack that nut. <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah. So like I said, I mean, that's just something we think about and, um, um, yeah, I mean, maybe we never will know, but you know, it's good to keep pushing yourself and bettering yourself. So, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know, man. It's, it's just, that's one of the 
the deep thoughts too, too, or, you know, even like a conscious, if you bring in consciousness into it, it's like, are we ever going to know what consciousness is? Or is it the, in the same boat as that, is that we're never going to know because we're experiencing it and we can't get outside of it to study it like we would, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, for even sure. if, even if it is some byproduct of brain function or wave function or whatever, it, it's not, it's still in that same category to me. But, uh, and, uh, to people that don't know what epistemology is, I'll just point out, it's the theory of knowledge, you know, um, you know, basically, you know, methods, validity, scope, those kinds of things, um, you know, distinguishes like just justified belief from opinion. Um, and, you know, we'll talk about ontology too, which is the study of being or the study of self. Um, so Let's go to the next one. This is one of the, uh, the big the, boys. The big boys. Um, so Pythagoras, uh, Pythagoras. I'm sorry. Um, it was from I five. Wrote a song about his theorem in high school. <laughs> Did you? Got that extra credit? <laughs> yeah, it was to the fire on the mountain. Do you remember that? <laughs> your, your stepbrother did it. Good old mixing of uh, math and Grateful Dead. <laughs> You'll never forget the the theorem, except I did. <laughs> uh, so yeah, he was around from 570 to 495 BC. Uh, he's believed to be an Ionian Greek uh, pre-Socratic philosopher. Uh, he was the founder of the uh, of Pythagoreanism. So he he created um, a cult, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, his philosophies included Plato, Aristotle. Um, or I'm sorry, his his philosophies influenced Plato, Aristotle, and uh, a lot of Western philosophy, mathematics, that kind of stuff. Uh, his political and religious ideas were influential. Um, he obviously um, he had a good grasp on how to kind of you know influence people while he was alive too, not just after he had passed and his writing and work survived. Um, and we're going to talk about that now, but so he created a, uh, an ascetic commune in uh, Croton, which is basically modern day Calabria in Italy. That's actually where my family's from in Italy, oddly enough, um, Beautiful. uh, where initiates were sworn to secrecy. Um, so, you know, the thing is uh, about the, the commune too, is, you know, you, I think they were all vegetarians. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of mathematics, um, a lot of metaphysics, a lot of that kind of stuff going on. Um, Sounds like an old Silicon Valley. Or <laughs> he uh, taught uh, metapsychosis, uh, which is the transmigrations of uh, or the transmigration of the soul. That upon death, the soul enters a new body. Um, the soul is immortal and re- he reincarnates after death. Um, he. Uh, yeah, so I mean, but that the the commune thing's interesting. So I think he had a lot of people too. He convinced a lot of people to come live there and study and and um and do that whole thing. But uh, he created the Pythagorean theorem, um, the five regular solids, uh, and the theory of proportions. Um, he also studied in Egypt and was fascinated with Egyptian god Thoth, Hermes. Um, and studied with the Egyptian priests in Thebes. So 
I'm fascinated with Thoth, uh, the Egyptian god, because he was known as the scribe god. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I've been thinking a lot about this lately. Everything we know, pretty much, like why we're so advanced, is pretty much because of language. It is the ability to... We'll explain something through words or writing. So back then the Egyptians had hieroglyphs and Thoth being the scribe god I think was important in the sense that um, without language and without uh, writing, we wouldn't be where we are today. And you could even go as far as to say that is magic. I mean, saying something out loud and then doing it or telling somebody something in a language, having them understand what you're saying and then have that affect them is basically magic, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, just think about those big speeches when, when you've got a good uh, speaker up there. Or we can take it it a a bit further, even laws. Like, think about what laws are. Laws are written down. You abide by the law. If you don't abide by the law, you go to jail. I mean, it's pretty much magic. This is this concept that somebody created using language that you are abiding by that, you know, it's just just an interesting concept. So I think in my um, lately studies, I've been thinking a lot about how I think language and writing has a lot to do with where we are and why we're here and that kind of a thing, so... Uh, he learned to speak Egyptian from Pharaoh uh, Massus II himself. Um, he made the connection between mathematics and music. So um, he that's important. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I don't know if it was him, but uh, it was either him or another pre-Socratic. I can't remember. That was he was walking by. And I'm, it's, I don't know if it's him. We might, it might even be in the slideshow later on. But um, one of the pre-Socratics was walking by a blacksmith, and he was hitting the iron, and you could hear like an octave difference in the way that it was hitting the uh, the metal, and uh, came up with the idea that like you know math had a lot to do with the frequency of the uh, of music and tones and that kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah. Uh, he may have came up with the uh, the idea of the harmony of spheres, which is the idea that planets move according to mathematical equations, causing a resonant, uh, resonant vibration that is uh, inaudible symphony, basically, that's tied to math, religion, and harmonic resonance. So it's this idea that um, we, or that the universe is basically like the symphony that's inaudible to us, but that kind of resonates at a certain frequency that's pretty profound yeah uh and then there that little picture down there that's uh one of his creations uh well we know he loved triangles so yeah a tetractus i believe is how you pronounce that uh and uh yeah so that's pythagoras i think you know obviously he's one of the more important ones and yeah uh, huge impact on math still right taught today so this guy was uh not only did he have some out there theories, he also had some theories that have uh, sustained time. So, right. Over to you, Michael. <laughs> uh, here we go. This is Heraclitus, um, 535 to 475 BC, pre Socratic philosopher um, from the Ephesus, uh, or from Ephesus, which was located on the Ionian coast, which was a little bit. Um, north of Miletus, uh, when I pulled up the map initially, uh, he was self-taught, said to have led a lonely life, 
Um, he was known for uh, as the weeping philosopher and the obscure. Uh, he was said to have gained his knowledge from questioning himself. So that's pretty interesting. Um, his main focuses were metaphysics, epistemology, ethics, politics, and cosmology. Um, he was considered one of the founders of ontology, like I mentioned before. We mentioned epistemology. What's... Ontology is the study of being. So, you know. Oh, it's pretty it's who, a very specific. Who am concept. I? Why am I here? <laughs> you know, it's basically yeah. what what is being. Um, that's, that's intense. He coined the term logos, uh, which means a principle of order and knowledge. And uh, it was used in different ways by the sophists and other ancient Greeks. So it was kind of a word that was thrown around with different meanings at, at different times. Uh, he developed the philosophical concept of becoming, which is the possibility of change in a thing that has a being, um, which, you know, if you know, if you're aware of your being that you can then change, you know, so that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, he was a material monist that believed that fire was the RK. So, um, you know, that one, you know, fire is important. Um, we need it, but it's I wouldn't say it's as important as air or water or something like that. No, uh, but it might have been in the, some of the theories. But if you think cook meat, our brains develop faster, so it might have been a well. That could be it. Or instrument. if you're talking about like Big Bang, like heat obviously has a lot to do with you know stars and the universe and the way that things form and stuff like that. So I guess you could look yeah. at it like that. Huh? Um, he believed the essence of the universe is uh, ever-present change. So another guy that thought that everything was always changing. Um, he is most famous for saying no man can ever step in the same river twice. So oh, clearly he's never been on Hogar. <laughs> so, but the idea that, oh, when, I, yeah, well, no, it's the idea that when you step in the river, okay. And you, let's say you pull your foot out and then you put it in again, the properties of that river have already exactly. changed. So yes. some people would argue that it's the same river since the river of its entirety is just one, one thing one essence you know but um you know it's kind of something to think about for sure uh he's probably most famous for and this is a little story about how he died he died from dropsy or edema but the way he tried to cure himself or treat it was by burying himself in cow manure um and he oh, died he died baking in the sun in this cow shit basically <laughs> now that's brutal um and there's there's different theories on the way he did it, but just whether he dug a hole and buried himself in it or just rolled around in it, whatever the case may be, that's, that's a terrible way to die. Yeah. All right. Moving on. So this is one of my favorite dudes. Um, Parmenides. Um, he was born roughly 515 BC. Uh, according to, uh, Plato's Parmenides dialogue, um, his birth and death dates are actually kind of uncertain. Uh, he was a pre-Socratic philosopher from Elia, like I mentioned in the very uh, the the slide that I did in the beginning with the map. Elia is on the um, west coast of Italy, and um, he was the founder of the Eleatic school of philosophy. He was a student of uh, Xenophanes, and uh, he was a uh, t- 
teacher of Zeno. Zeno is, we'll get to him in a second. If you've ever heard of Zeno's paradoxes, which are these paradoxes that, um, you know, they're just basically like mind experiments that have no real answer kind of a thing. So, um, his single surviving work is a poem called on nature. Um, his main focuses were metaphysics and ontology, which is the study of being. Um, his most famous thoughts were, uh, or his most famous thoughts, yeah, were thought and being are the same. Nothing comes from nothing and uh, the void, which is another thing he was known for. Um, so, you know, when you look at that, uh, kind of an interesting concept. Um yeah, you know, I'm down with this guy. And if anybody that watched our episode on like non-duality um, in quantum physics, I talk a little bit about him, but just the idea that uh, you know, there all there is is just this thing. There's nothing else but this. You know, it's all the same thing. It's just there's like this illusion of you know of of difference or separation. Enter the void. Um, he argued the perception of everyday life and reality of the physical world is wrong and that reality was actually one being, like I just mentioned. So that's the most important I think thing I think about this, and this is something I think about a lot too when we talk a lot about consciousness and different stuff. Um, how, you know, like how do we know that what we're perceiving is actually what's there? You know what I'm saying? Like, our eyes are just taking on photons. We're relying right. on touch and sound and all this. These are just things that we've evolved. When you it, lose your senses, what's there? Well, that's what I'm saying. You know, you'd only be able to ask, well, like Helen Keller, maybe a few other people. But, uh, yeah. you know, in in that regard, it's like, could, can we truly trust our senses? Or is this world something completely different than we ever imagined? This is just the way we perceive it. You know, like, are we producing this reality with our minds kind of a thing? So that's definitely... Yeah, it's strange. I uh, I don't definitely don't have the answer for you. I, I knew you weren't going to know, but... Uh, <laughs> but uh, I will next week. So, ladies and gentlemen, tune in. No, but so... But that's my, uh, this is one of my favorite dudes. I just like the way that he, you know, I should have put more in here, but whatever. Well, the uh, nothing comes from nothing. It was right up your alley, so I can see the, right why you like him. Lawrence Krauss would really hate this guy. Well, what's, that's, you don't talk about the unspoken one. <laughs> All right, so this was his student that I mentioned before, Zeno, from, famous for Zeno's Paradox. Um, 490 to 430 B.C., uh, Zeno of Elia. He was a great Greek uh, pre-Socratic philosopher, uh, most famous for creating the Nine Paradoxes. Um, he base, uh, based on play that Zeno created the Paradoxes to protect the work of Parmenides. So they're saying that Zeno, when he created these Paradoxes, um, you know, in... And we'll talk about this when we talk about like Plato and stuff. Yeah, my mind's but, about to get blown here. But, but no, but Plato, uh, Plato's Parmenides, which is a dialogue, um, you know, kind of talks about how Parmenides is wrong and this is why he's wrong, kind of a thing. But the but they're saying that Zeno created the paradox to protect 
the work of Parmenides that it was still important, even though some of the aspects of it may have been wrong or proved wrong later by other philosophers. Um, he was a member of the Eleatic school founded by Parmenides. Uh, Aristotle credited him with being the inventor of dialectic, which you know is a very important thing. Uh, he is he's mentioned in Plato's Parmenides and Aristotle's Physics. Um, there's a story about a tyrant, you know, that he later in his life bit the ear off of a king or a tyrant, uh, or he like whisk, went to whisper something in his ear and bit off his ear. But there's different versions of the story, so I didn't. Oh, put the Mike whole thing Tyson. In <laughs> yeah, he was the first Mike Tyson. <laughs> um, uh, the three most famous paradoxes are Achilles and the tortoise, um, which is if you give the tortoise uh, a head start that you'll never be able to catch up to the tortoise, even if you're fast, kind of a thing. These are like math problems or something? Yeah, they're, they're basically math problems. Uh, the dichotomy paradox, the arrow paradox. Um, so, like, one of them is, you know... I've done a couple, I think. This one blew my mind apart. I was trying to do the so it's addition like, and subtraction thing. But one of them is, is so if somebody's walking down a path and... Um, they walk half, there's like an end goal. Okay. There's like an end distance. They walk. they get to halfway there. Okay. And then they go from halfway there to halfway there again. And you keep going down to, to, to it gets go keeps going halfway. It can go on for infinity unless it's going somewhere, which, which is the, the, uh, where it gets debunked is that now we know that that's not the case. You can't keep going half and half and half and half because you would eventually get to that, that point. But, um, he was possibly the first philosopher to dabble in mathematical infinity, which I think is pretty important considering there's a good possibility that, uh, infinity for sure exists. So let's move on to the next one. This is the last guy we're going to talk about today. Uh, probably one of the most important in terms of modern day scientific inquiry and contributions. Uh, Democritus. Uh, he lived from 460 to 370 BC. Ancient Greek pre Socratic philosopher. Uh, his name means chosen of the people. Uh, he's most famous for coming up with the concept of, the, of atoms and the atomic theory. Uh, the term atom comes from the Greek word uh, atomos, uh, which means indivisible. Uh, the term was not used again until scientists and chemists started using it in the early 19th century. So think about that. This guy came up with this idea and this theory a long time ago, B.C., and then it wasn't used again until 2,000 years later. Until they're like, oh, this guy was on to something. So that's pretty yeah. interesting. So uh, this guy lived to be 90? Is that my math correct on that? or? What? No. He was 90 years old? Though. No, that's not the way BC works, bro. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm just joking. Okay. I mean, how old was he then? <laughs> I was just curious if there was like, did these guys live long? Was the age, you know, like around 40s or what was the age expectancy? Uh, Yeah. You were right the first, doesn't really matter. the first time. Yeah, but that's a long life for for back then, I would yeah, think. Yeah, but that that's, you? I mean, you look into a lot of these, even ancient Egypt. There was an ancient Egyptian pharaoh, I forget his name, Pepe, 
Pepe the second, Pepe the third, I forget, but he lived to be like 99. So it's not, it's not impossible to live a long time back. If you live, if you were a smart person that had a lot to offer, you had, I'm sure food and like you weren't suffering, you know? So as long as nothing hit you like cancer or whatever back then, I'm sure you could live a good life. And back then, I mean, they ate whole foods. They weren't eating processed garbage and olive oil's pretty good for you, you know? So yeah, there was just a lot more people living in squander. That's why the death average was way. Well, there's a lot of disease and there's no antibiotics and stuff like that. So, but I mean, they probably had their own ancient, you know, herbs and medicines and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, there is a debate if the idea was originally Democritus's or his teacher Leucippus. So, um, this is where it gets dicey. So Aristotle credited Leucippus with inventing atomism, uh, atomism, uh, but Epicurus was influenced by democracy and uh, Democritus and based his testimony that Leucippus never existed. So there's a debate whether his teacher Leucippus was a real person or not and whether he actually came up with the theory first or maybe laid the groundwork for it. So that's kind of debated. I've heard different takes on that and from different people and stuff. So, I mean... Seems like an enormous waste of time arguing over that, but... Right. Well, I mean, and then... So even to this day, um, we talk about atoms. Atoms is a huge foundation of, you know, science. But... You could even say that he's wrong. I think the story goes he was in like a dusty room and he saw particles flying through like a, a shaft of or a beam of sunlight. And yeah, beautiful uh, cinematography. And he saw that these tiny little particles, so he theorized that everything was made up of these tiny little particles. But obviously those ones weren't atoms because you could see them. Right. You can't see atoms. But then, so today though, we coined the term atom, which we've given to a specific molecule, right? Or it's just, you know, part of a molecule, right? Yeah. So, but, but my point is that that still might not be what a real at. Like he might have had the idea that there's something even more fundamental than that, even tinier than that. That is, you know, you could go on for infinity. Maybe it keeps going forever. You know what I'm saying? Who knows? But um, so there's the void hypothesis, which he believed contrary to Parmenides and Zeno's motion paradox that a void must exist. So Parmenides and Zeno believe that a void cannot exist since everything is, uh, since nothing is still something, which if you think about it, makes sense. I mean, we've talked about this before. The, the idea of nothing is still something. You can't argue that it's not because it's still an idea, you know, but in concept, nothing, we know what people are saying when they say nothing, but in reality, it's still something. So it's kind of a, a, a mind bender there. Um, yeah. He believed that knowledge of truth is difficult since perception through the senses is subjective, which is, again, another kind of idea that Parmenides was talking about, that how can we truly know, you know what's true and what's not when our senses are subjective somewhat? You know, your idea of what... You know, you're looking at maybe a little bit different than what I'm looking at, even though there is the subjective oh, it is. thing, you know, their perception of it might be different. So, um, but yeah, so this is, there's a couple other ones that we didn't get to that. These were the most important ones that I thought uh, encapsulated the pre-Socratics and the ideas and the foundation for, you know, where we are today, science wise and all that stuff. So like Very I said, good, sir. 
in the next episode, we'll get to Socrates, uh, you know, Plato and Aristotle, and we'll just focus on those three. And then we'll get to the Sophists, the famous Sophists on another one. And then um, we'll hit some of the, actually, I want to do one on the Lucinian mysteries too. I think that'll be interesting. Um, and uh, we'll touch on, you know, it'll be this whole little Greek thing. And then we'll do the same thing probably with like ancient Egypt and ancient Rome and go through some of the ancient uh, civilizations and stuff. But uh, Beautiful. Trot around the world. And yeah, I just, you know, I, th- I thought uh, I have been reading a lot about this stuff lately, you know, like in terms of, um, you know, these pre-Socratics and uh, also I'm very interested in the mind, how the mind works, how we've gotten to where we are, um, you know, what were the early thoughts like, that kind of stuff. So I think if to know where we're going or have an idea where we're going, uh, you got to know where we came from and, and who got us there. You know, it's like learning how to play music and not knowing who the Beatles were or something like that, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, also good to seep our audience in some uh, concrete knowledge, if even if it's just a history of some of these places instead of all the heady stuff that we do with a lot of our uh, guests. So it's, right. a good, uh, it's a good change of things, definitely. Right, right, right. right. So, But uh, good stuff, good stuff. And uh, we'll uh, continue this on here. We're going to do another episode with Matt Tiller here in a little bit. Um, check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash Mike and Maurice. We have a few things up there that are exclusive content. For $2 a month, you will get access to uh, there's all the links to our uh, pages. Check us out, and um, that's it. Thanks, guys. See ya. Peace. Cheers. <laughs>